Today on the Matt Wall Show, as we have seen for many months now, many people in this country and across the West are eager to give up their basic rights and liberties for fear of COVID. They insist that we should all live in the same way, fearful and oppressed like them. But I have a different solution, which I will suggest today. Also, President Biden warns that those in the path of Tropical Storm Henry, uh, they, they must remember, remember to wear masks when the storm hits. Yes, he really said that. Wear masks when the storm hits. And the media claims that there's a rising trend of anti-mask parents physically assaulting teachers, but the trend doesn't exist. They're making it up. We'll look at the facts today. And finally, the cancel mob has taken a special interest in the hunt for a new host of Jeopardy. Why do they care so much? Well, we'll talk about that today and much more on The Matt Walsh Show. Well, the situation in Australia seems to get worse by the day. And by situation, I don't mean COVID itself. As far as the virus goes, they're experiencing only four deaths per day in a population of 25 million. And four deaths per day, we should note, represents the worst of it. And that's the most that they've seen this year and probably the peak or close to the peak of the current wave. By the way, four deaths in a country of 25 million uh, represents 0.00001% of the population. And this has been enough to justify a de facto martial law with nearly all basic human rights and freedoms suspended. And public health authorities are now warning citizens that they're not allowed to even speak to each other in public. And this is all horrifying enough, but for those who tend to sympathize more with the plight of animals than humans, perhaps this will get the point across. Uh, a report from Fox News says a group of dogs that was set, set to be sent to a rescue were instead shot and killed by local officials, officials, according to local reports. This was apparently done in order to prevent shelter employees from traveling and potentially spreading infection. A watchdog group, the Office of Local Government, says it was informed by the Bork Shire Council that the dogs had been shot. The incident occurred in an attempt to prevent volunteers from another area uh, from traveling to that location. So they're now shooting rescue dogs, perfectly healthy dogs, for fear that caring for them may result somehow in the spread of a virus that kills a whopping 0.00001% of the population per day. Meanwhile, the government is issuing arrest warrants and the local media are delivering urgent news bulletins about COVID positive people who commit the crime of leaving their homes. This is very real. This is not a, a parody or anything. It's, it's hard to tell the difference a lot of times these days, but uh, watch this. It's those doing the wrong thing driving our record case numbers. Among the most concerning cases, a COVID patient who's tonight on the run from a hotspot. Police and health authorities have issued an urgent appeal. Anthony Caram knows he is COVID positive when he steps into this public lift. Already breaking so many rules, he doesn't bother to cover his mouth as he sneezes and splutters. The 27-year-old is still infectious, but has gone missing from his Wentworth Point apartment. A warrant now issued for his arrest. This 27-year-old chap who apparently has expressed the view that he doesn't care less whether he spreads the virus is one example of the worst of the worst. The worst of the worst. Not murderers, not child rapists. The worst of the worst. A guy who has the virus and got into an elevator. By himself, we should know. But as always, the most terrifying thing is that the people are cooperating with all this, going along like mindless cattle. 
Now, in fairness, a certain brave minority have spoken out and protested this dystopian insanity, but most citizens of the country seem to be just falling in line. The image that many of us outside of Australia have of the kind of plucky and fearless Steve Irwin-esque Aussies who wrestle crocodiles for fun has taken a serious hit, which is a tragedy in its own right. But then who are we to judge in America? We are overrun by scared infantile cowards in this country as well. A sizable portion of our own population would happily go along with all of the measures that have been put in place in Australia and then some. The fact that most of those measures have not been put in place in this country, at least not yet, has caused many of our fellow countrymen real distress. They, they have more freedom than they want. They're begging the government to take freedoms away from them. And they certainly believe that you have more freedom than you should have. And their fear and panic is, is really tearing the country apart even more than it was already torn apart before all this started. The Wall Street Journal this morning reports on how COVID fear has turned even families against each other. Uh, they report, quote, Weeks of rising COVID-19 cases have hardened divisions within families, communities, and friend groups over which members have been vaccinated and which have chosen not to do so. Hannah Lindeborg wanted to pull out all the stops for her daughter's second birthday in July, especially after the pandemic derailed the family celebration for her first uh, birthday last year. The second birthday would be the first big gathering with extended family since COVID-19 came into their lives, Miss Lindeborg said, adding that she looked forward to hosting everybody over at her home in St. Paul, Minnesota. When she learned some of her family members had chosen not to get vaccinated, quote, it just went downhill from there. From family gatherings to weddings to workplaces, vaccinated Americans are drawing new, sharper lines around who they choose to spend time with amid the rise of the highly transmissible Delta variant. And the unvaccinated are growing testy over being excluded and feeling judged for exercising the right to make their own health choices. The divisions are straining relationships among families, neighbors, and colleagues. Ms. Lindeborg, 30 years old, is an attorney and mother of four, including a five-year-old son with asthma. She and her husband tried to figure out how to host everyone while telling the unvaxxed ones to remain outside. They considered uninviting the unvaccinated. Ultimately, they just canceled the party. Now, there are many cases like this. Of course, the vaccinated people never seem to pause and think about the fact that they're so terrified of the unvaccinated. If they have faith in the vaccine, then why should they be so scared of unvaccinated people? If they have little faith in the vaccine, that might explain their terror of the unvaccinated, I guess, but it also takes away their right to be angry at them. If you don't believe the vaccine works, how can you blame anyone else for not getting it? Does it work or does it not work? If it doesn't work, then why should anyone get it? If it does work, why do you care if other people don't get it? This is a, a real logical problem for these people, but they are fearful and panicked. And fearful and panicked people never think through these sorts of things or anything else. There's very little thinking going on, just raw, trembling emotion. And those emotions are taking an increasingly dark turn. More and more... Uh, the panicked people are openly wishing death on those who do not share in their panic. Every day you see another video just like this one. Let's watch this. My daughter just called and her boyfriend has tested positive. He's the only person in his work that's wearing a mask out of, you know, 300 people. And now my daughter, who's 29 weeks pregnant, is at risk. And uh, I hate every single one of you who refuses to wear a mask to protect others. I 
I hope this virus finds you. I hope it finds you and I hope it destroys you because the people that are trying to do their part in this are getting sick because of you stupid, ignorant morons. So, please get vaccinated. Real catch there. You got to feel sorry for her husband. I mean, if she has one still, um, whatever number she's on. So he, he was vaccinated, presumably, the, the son-in-law, and, and was wearing a mask. And he still got sick. Okay, and if any, But if anyone suggests that perhaps those measures don't work all that well, if anyone were to suggest that, uh, and so they declined to partake in them, you label them ignorant morons who deserve death. Do, do, do you see the problem here? Well, no, you don't. And I, we can't really expect this screaming harpy to see the problem. She's just looking for someone to blame. Same can be said for uh, one of my fellow Nashville residents, Melissa Joan Hart, formerly the star of Sabrina the Teenage Witch and Clarissa Explains It All. For you 90s kids, she is now sick with COVID and explaining why it's all the fault of unmasked school children. It's all their fault that she's sick, even though she's vaccinated. Uh, let's watch that. I got COVID. I am vaccinated. And I got COVID. And it's bad. Um, it's weighing on my chest. It's hard to breathe. Um, <clears throat> one of my kids, I think, has it so far. I'm praying that the other ones are okay. I'm mad. Really mad. Because we tried. And we took precautions and we cut our exposure by a lot. But we got a little lazy. And I think as a country, we got lazy. And... I'm really mad that my kids didn't have to wear masks at school. Because I'm pretty sure that's where this came from. And I... Nothing I can do about it now. My little one luckily wore a mask every day because he was used to it from last year. And he came home bragging every day, Mom, I wore my mask. And I was so thankful. And now if he does get it, I can at least tell him. He was a superhero to those in his classroom because he protected his teacher and his classmates from it. She's uh, doing everything she can to stay healthy. And by the way, you notice how she says, uh, well, they, I'm mad at the school because they didn't require my kids to wear a mask. Well, they're your kids. You could have required it. I don't think you should require that of your kids. I think it's abusive to put your kids in, in, um, in a mask, but she obviously doesn't think that. And so just, just imagine that she's blaming this. Why didn't you require my kids to do this thing? But it's not her kid's fault. It's, it's all your kid's fault for not muzzling himself at school. And yet, apparently, she says she's doing everything. She took precautions. But those precautions did not include canceling her trip to Disney World. A look at the Instagram page where this video was posted reveals that just before this video, she was gallivanting around at a, at a massive, crowded theme park. Could that have been the source of her current ailment? No, of course not. It had to be your fault. And this brings me finally to an important point. And I know this is fruitless now, um, but, but I'm going to say it anyway, again. Speaking for myself, I am aware that COVID is endemic, that there will always be new variants. Uh, so when I hear about, well, they got Delta variant and then there's the Lambda variant and, um, you know, it, 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 
It's just like it's. It sounds like frat row at a at a at a university with all these different variants and everything. And I know that. And there's always going to be new ones. And I know that I will inevitably be exposed to the virus at some point if I haven't been already. I know that I'll contract COVID if I haven't already. And even if I have or I do, I might get it again at some point in the future, just as many people get the flu multiple times throughout their lives. I mean, natural immunity is a thing, but it does. there's no reason to think that it lasts forever. Now, this is not an argument against taking precautions. Washing your hands is a good idea in general. Basic hygiene is a worthwhile practice in general. Eating healthy, getting plenty of sun, plenty of vitamins. These are all good lifestyle choices and also good protection from COVID, at least in, in its most serious forms. As for shots, lots of people get flu shots every year, which is a fine thing to do if you want. Just as getting the COVID vaccine is a fine thing to do if you want. With all of that established, I choose to live my life and carry on as, 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 as normal. If I had any reason to believe that we could literally get rid of COVID completely by taking whatever steps, then maybe my calculus might change. I don't know. But that's not the situation. We can't. It's here and it's not going anywhere. I don't like it, but that's the truth. I wish it weren't true, but it is. I'm not saying COVID doesn't exist or that it's all made up or that I know for a fact it won't kill me. It probably won't kill me. It, it probably poses little threat to me, but probably isn't definitely. So that means that it could kill me, just as I know many other things could kill me. And yet I choose to live alongside that reality, within that reality, and in spite of it. That's my choice. If you feel differently, if you simply are not willing to accept the mild risk of COVID, mild for most people anyway, then you are free to make different choices. You're free to stay home as much as possible. Nobody is forcing you to go to Disney World. Nobody is forcing you to go anywhere, really. In fact, one of the blessings or curses, depending on how you look at it, of modern life is that it enables you to rarely leave your home. You can have most things delivered to you, including your groceries. Lots of people can work from home. If you can't, I know not everybody can. Um, that, but, but then if you have to go to work, that you're, you're free to go to work in rubber gloves and a gas mask. I mean, why not if you're that afraid of it? then why not do that? You, you can do that. No one's stopping you. And then come right home every day. No social life. Don't go out to any restaurants. Don't, do, don't go to any theme parks. Go, don't go to the movies. Don't, don't go for a walk. Don't do anything. Just stay in your home. My, my point is you are free to drop out of society for the most part or completely. Cower in your home. Hide under your blanket. Lock the door. Who knows? COVID may be able to pick Maybe able to, to turn a door. I don't know if they figured out how to turn the doorknob yet, but make sure you lock the door. Get some deadbolts. Live in fear of this virus, determined that when you die, which you will, something other than that will be the thing that takes you out. Now, I think that's an insane way to live. I think it's a tragic way to live. I think it's a cowardly and disgraceful way to live, but nobody is telling you that you can't live that way. What I'm telling you is that rather than trying to impose your paranoia on the rest of us, rather than insisting that we all be hypochondriac lunatics like you, why don't you just do your thing? Okay, live your truth, as the left always tells us. This is your truth, right? So go ahead and live it. Nobody's stopping you. Let the rest of us live our lives. 
We have made our choice. We'll deal with the consequences. You make yours, and good luck to you. Why can't that just be the solution? Well, I know why it can't be. This is all a rhetorical question, because really, controlling other people is the whole point in the end, isn't it? Let's get now to our five headlines. Let's take a step to the side for a moment and talk about Charity Mobile. If you have not yet switched over and uh, made Charity Mobile your provider, then uh, you're really missing out because Charity Mobile is the pro-life phone company and they are a company that shares your beliefs and isn't going to cancel or censor you for them. They're also supporting your causes out there in the culture. Other mobile service providers are neutral at best when it comes to the causes you care about and many of them are far worse than neutral, but Charity Mobile partners you with partners with you to automatically support the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice with 5% of your monthly plan price. And that means that uh, every day when you're simply paying your bill, you're also giving to a charity and to a cause that's uh, so important in the culture. Charity Mobile also makes it easy to switch. You can keep your existing phone number and you may even be able to keep your existing phone. They're making it very easy for you. And when you do switch, you get excellent coverage with nationwide service on America's most reliable network. 5G phones are also available now. New activations and eligible accounts get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping. So there's no reason not to switch. You got to try this. Switch to Charity Mobile and support a company and causes that you care about. Call them at 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com and mention the offer code Walsh. So I got to tell you about this. I know I've told you several uh, wardrobe malfunctions that I've had over the last few weeks, uh, a real a real trend. And th- this one, I-, I guess I got to just tell you about this because this is sort of like the culminating one. And this was my, my real wake-up call that maybe I am not qualified to dress myself in the morning. So, you know, my wife, you know, she gave me grief last week because I was wearing the tan-on-tan outfit, tan shirt, tan pants. And uh, that apparently you can't do. So yesterday, we're, we're about to go to church. And, and, you know, my wife says, if you got a shirt for church, I'm going to go iron some stuff. So give me your shirt. And I, I handed her a shirt, which I had recently purchased. And it was a, like a blue shirt. And to me, it was just a blue shirt with some patterns on it. It's kind of like nondescript patterns. But I was going for something. You know, you don't want to go with a solid tan on tan. Something with a little bit more character. Something with more, um, a little bit more, if I, if, I, if I could dare say, pizzazz to it. And I hand it to her. And then she starts laughing hysterically. Because it is, a, according to her, it's kind of like a floral pattern. It's a flowery shirt, she said. And then she started saying how it looks like something her dead grandmother would have worn. And she starts calling me a grave robber. And we're having this discussion about the shirt. And then my, my one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, unprompted, she was, I know she was not set up for this. And she's, you know, she's just recently learning how to, to, to speak and put sentences together. She walks into the room, and she points at the shirt, and she says, Mommy's dress. And I just got absolutely owned by my one-and-a-half-year-old daughter. And this is where I realized, no matter what I try to do, go with the tan on tan, that's not good. Solid color, not good. Try to go with something a little bit more, with a little more character to it, I end up wearing an old lady's dress by accident. I mean, this is, this is the situation I'm in. I think, I, think uh, I just have to accept it. Accept when you have a problem and reach out for help. All right. Uh, Joe Biden has a lot of problems, one of which is a, a non-functioning brain. So here's a very real tweet from Joe Biden in reference to 
uh, Tropical Storm Henry. He says, to those in Henry's path, don't forget that you may need to seek shelter while we're still battling COVID-19 in the Delta variant. So wear a mask and try to observe social distancing. To everyone across the country, don't get caught by the next storm. Get vaccinated now. Wait, somehow I, 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 I missed the second part of this, uh, the, the, this thing. The third sentence there I missed when I originally read this. Don't get caught by the next storm. Get vaccinated now? So what, the vaccine is a... I would like to think that he means storm in a metaphorical sense. COVID is a storm. But you can never be too sure these days. Is he claiming that the vaccine actually protects against hurricanes? It, it really is a wonder drug in that case. I'm not sure if that's what he's claiming, but he is saying that when planning for a potentially devastating storm, flooding, maybe your house is destroyed, uh, make sure you wear a mask. That's, that should be... Now, it's interesting here that if, if you got to run to a shelter because of massive flooding and, um, you know, uh, a, a potentially fatal situation, what he's saying is make, make sure to, to keep in mind social distancing and wearing masks. Even in, even in the face of an emergency situation, always keep that in mind. And yet, if you go back and, and you refer back to the picture of the um, Afghan refugees who are being loaded onto planes in Afghanistan and brought to our neighborhoods here in the United States, and especially that first picture where you got 600 Afghans in that, uh, crowded onto that plane, and some, unfortunately, on the outside of the plane as well. Most of them, you know, young, young males of fighting age, but, but no masks among them. I assume there was no COVID testing done. There was no requirement for a vaccine passport. No masks. Crowding them onto this plane and bringing them over here. So in that situation, they can say, well, we don't have time to worry about any of that. Which makes sense in a vacuum. Yeah, it it, it would be crazy in in that situation to worry about, oh, we got to make sure everyone has masks on. And yet for American citizens in an emergency situation, you got to run to a shelter with a hurricane bearing down on you, a tropical storm bearing down on you. They want you to worry about the mask. And it's not just uh, Joe Biden. We can't blame only him for this. this. He is uh, following marching orders from the CDC because if you go to the CDC page on preparing for a hurricane, this again is very real. Here's what it says. Preparing for a hurricane. Follow these important hurricane preparedness tips from the CDC. First tip, prepare for a hurricane. Take basic steps now to ensure your safety should should a storm hit. I like how their first, the first step in preparing for a hurricane is to prepare for a hurricane. Prepare for a hurricane. Step one, prepare for a hurricane. Oh, well, thank you, CDC. That's that's some, uh, some very useful advice. Step two, get a COVID-19 vaccine as soon as you can. So that is the second thing they want you to do in preparing for a hurricane is to get is to get a COVID vaccine. Again, the question is, do are they claiming, do they think that the vaccine actually protects against hurricanes? I would like to assume they can't possibly be claiming that, but I don't think we can assume that. Um, also, speaking of masks, uh, this pediatrician, I want to show you this. A pediatrician, 
uh, is Scott Hadland is his name, Dr. Scott Hadland. And uh, he put up this post on Twitter a couple days ago with this smug grin where he's got his mask pulled down. And he says, pediatrician here, kids should wear masks in school. That is all. Thanks. I love the that is all at the end. He is decreeing this. Uh, The pediatrician has spoken. Well, he said it, so I guess this uh, smug bastard right here says the kids have to wear masks in school. Who are we to question? But then you notice something. You you, You can barely see it, but right behind him on his bulletin board in his office, there is a a little chart there with what what appears to be like a pink elephant. Do you see that? Sort of a pink elephant wearing a suit. That is, if you zoomed in on that, you would see that that is the gender elephant, which is something that's used uh, with kids to indoctrinate them into gender theory. It's one of the many creepy sort of worksheets that they hand out in school sometimes. Sometimes it's a gender elephant. Sometimes it's the gender bread man. But you talk about a, a, a uh, not exactly a shocking twist that this guy telling kids to wear masks in school also happens to have the gender elephant hanging in his, uh, in his office. I, I wouldn't personally let that guy anywhere near my kids. I mean, any pediatrician saying that kids should wear masks, saying that it's a good idea for kids to wear masks for seven, eight hours a day. I'm not going to let them anywhere near my kids. They've got the gender elephant hanging in their office on top of that. That's, that really is the icing on the cake, isn't it? All right, number two, MSNBC has this screaming headline, very startling. It says, the next COVID war, school vaccine and mask mandates. Far-right extremists, anti-maskers, and now parents are fueling a rising pattern of violence against educators. A rising pattern of violence against educators. Well, that's very, that's pretty startling, isn't it? There's a, there's a rising pattern of teachers being physically assaulted. Nobody wants to see that. It's a terrible thing. Um, and it, it makes you want to click on the article and read some more. Except, what, what, of course, what MSNBC wants you to do, they want you to click on the article so they get the clicks. But they don't want you to read it. They want you to see it, react to the headline, click on it, and maybe do a real brief skim and then share it. That's all they want you to do. They don't want you to really bear down and read each sentence. But we're going to do that right now. And you tell me if something seems a little bit amiss here. They, remember, they're alleging a rising pattern of violence against educators. And here's what the article says. A California elementary school teacher was hospitalized this week after allegedly being assaulted by a parent who was upset about the school's mask mandate for children. The attack is part of a rising pattern of violence against educators by parents, anti-maskers, and far-right extremists targeting schools that champion critical race theory, transgender rights, and other issues over the past several months. Um, uh, Let's see. But with the school year getting underway across the country, it's the war on masks currently igniting parent protesters and in ways that are rapidly turning violent. Anti-mask protesters and far-right extremists like the Proud Boys have shown up at school board meetings to protest mask and vaccine mandates heckling and threatening masked people, accusing educators of child abuse, and calling on schools to unmask the children. Well, first of all, I don't know who would go to a school board meeting and accuse, uh, say that it's child abuse to put your kid in a mask. I don't know who, I don't know what sort of extremist would say such a thing. 
But I condemn that individual, whoever that happened to be. Anyway, continuing, it says, in Texas, repeated altercations between parents and teachers led to a superintendent's letter to parents asking everyone to be kind and stop fighting mask wars in our schools. In a Colorado district, sheriff's deputies were stationed outside schools on the first day of classes to ensure protests did not disrupt uh, student learning. In some ways, the violence we've seen outside schools reflects broader tensions rippling across the country. You've noticed we're reading all this. They keep saying rising trend, violence. Where is the violence? They haven't actually told us about any incidents of violence except that one. Um, And uh, now trying to jump ahead a little bit here. Where do we get to the actual violence? Uh, Then they start telling us over a third of parents across the U.S. do not think schools should require unvaccinated students and staff to wear masks. Maybe that's the violence. They have a they have a their opinion is a form of violence is maybe what they're saying. Um, And. You keep reading, you keep reading, and that is really it. That one, a rising trend of violence, and they have one case. And actually, when you read into that one case, here's a local news report from the NBC affiliate talking about that case where a teacher was allegedly assaulted. And here's what they say about it. A California elementary school teacher was allegedly assaulted by a parent Wednesday during an argument over their child having to wear a mask. Um... The Gibson, uh, who's the district superintendent, uh, Tori Gibson, said the male parent verbally assaulted the school's principal when his daughter walked out of a school building wearing a mask. When a male teacher stepped in, the situation escalated and a physical altercation happened, resulting in injuries. Now, that is a far cry from saying that, that, um, that this was an assault where the parent was solely to blame. Maybe he was. I don't know. But all we're told is that this this parent showed up. He was upset about the masks, justifiably so. He confronted the principal, justifiably so. You know, we we, we don't know the full content of of what he said because we're not told that. And then a, a male teacher steps in and an altercation happens and the teacher is is injured in the process. So this sounds to me like a fight between two guys. And one of them got the better of the fight. Who started it? Who hit first? Was was the parent reacting in self-defense? Was he hit first? We don't know. So all that to say, we have maybe, maybe one teacher who was assaulted in the entire country. One, maybe. And that's a big maybe. No others. And this justifies for MSNBC and other um, media outlets a rising trend. This justifies the claim of a rising trend of violence against educators. In fact, it gets even more absurd than that because in this article um, from MSNBC, when in the first paragraph they say the attack is part of a rising pattern of violence, it's a hyperlink and you can click on that rising pattern of violence and it's blue, you know, you click on it and it brings you. And of course, when you see that link, rising pattern of violence and it's in blue, And that signals that, oh, it's a link, and you assume you'll click on the link, and it will take you to some other article uh, documenting other cases of violence. And yet you click on that link, and it takes you to a CNN article about the exact same one single incident that happened with this elementary school. Um, And I know I will say, in fairness, later on in the article from MSNBC, they do mention one other case where a parent allegedly... Uh, ripped a mask off of a, of a teacher's face. So if we want to call that physical assault, then we've got, and that's a stretch, 
that we've got maybe two. Maybe. And this is a rising trend. How do they justify that? Well, because they have no problem simply lying. But also, technically, you know, two, arguably two is it's rising. It's more than there were before. It could be the start of a trend. This, this is a 200% increase over uh, the month before. But they hope it's the start of a trend. That's really what they're going for here. They, they want to see more of this. A lot more. Um, and, and really the point is that they can't, the arguments that the so-called anti-maskers are making, and once again, we have to stipulate that um, the, the people who don't want kids to be forced to wear masks in school, they might be anti-mask in that they, they don't want to wear masks. They don't think anyone should wear masks or, or anyone should have to wear masks. That's where I am personally. Um, but there's a great number of, of these people, and I've talked to many of them, who have no problem with masks. They even wear masks themselves. They just don't think kids should be forced to wear them for seven hours a day. But the argument made by that side, which is labeled the anti-mask side, um, it's an argument that they have no response to. They don't have the data on their side. They don't have the science on their side. They know that. And so all they can do instead is paint us as violent extremists and make up these narratives of teachers being assaulted left and right. Okay, the Daily Mail has a story that uh, is also not a parody, though, though, again, it's very hard to tell these days. Some police in the UK will now be driving rainbow cars. It says police are painting rainbows on the side of their squad cars in a bid to beat online hate crimes and give confidence to the LGBT plus community. Critics have said forces should be focused on real issues such as knife crime and that the colorful cars might seem less intimidating to the public. You think so? Um, but Deputy Chief Constable Julie Cook says that the uh, this is a, a really good idea and she was interviewed about this and she explains why it's important to have rainbow police cars and here she is. <laughs> The rainbow cars, the hate crime cars, whatever we want to call them, they are part of our vehicle fleet. So, you know, we're always replacing vehicles. They get um, all of the police sort of insignia put on them as normal, but there will normally be then something added on that is to do with the rainbow side of things. Um, But they're out there as normal patrol vehicles. Sometimes people will ask us, um, how can you afford to do that? You know, that's not right to, to spend money on putting a rainbow on a car. Well, actually, the cost is quite minimal, but the confidence that it can bring by just having that rainbow on there and people say to me you know the impact of seeing the rainbow is so huge and the idea is that the cars are there in the communities generally on normal policing patrol just again to show the community that we want you to come forward if something is happening that you know isn't right then we absolutely want you to come forward so it is there to try and give confidence to our lgbt plus community but also to other underrepresented groups well there's nothing that would give me greater confidence right than than seeing police officers Driving around in literal clown cars, because that's what they look like. They actually look like actual clown cars. And what could give you more confidence than that? She says that people say to her, the impact of seeing the rainbow is so huge. She claims that's a direct quote from people. Really? Is that what people say? You know, uh, uh, Constable, the impact of seeing that rainbow is so huge. Such a huge impact. Do they actually say that? Because I don't think they do. But um, this is 
when we, as we've discussed many times, and this you want to talk about a real rising trend um, that I've warned about is that is that you know in our culture now and across the West, the most important thing, of course, is, is a person's psychological state, is their their psychological well-being, and um, and you know and, and of course not their actual psych because actual psychological well-being is important. It's not the most important thing, but it is important. Um, but what we consider psychological well-being is just, you know, affirming however a person happens to feel in the moment, even if it's not good for them in the long in the long run. And since we've decided that this is the most important thing, then it kind of makes sense that the next step now is that police officers, their primary job is to protect, not to protect the physical health and safety of the public, but to but to primarily protect their psychological health. And that's where the rainbow police cars come in. That's why you're going to have police rolling up in rainbow cars upon reports of, uh, you know, someone saying mean words or being, being mean online to somebody else. This is absurd and, and uh, embarrassing and also kind of hilarious in a very morbid way. But it's also a logical extension. At the same time. All right, next, uh, you may remember Shacheri Richardson. She was the woman who was disqualified from the Olympics, a sprinter disqualified because she tested positive for weed. And she was made into a martyr for this. Everyone felt sorry for her. She was, uh, you know, she was a martyr. And then she was, a, she was appearing in Nike ads and that sort of thing. Um, and, it, you know, it, it, in truth, does it make sense to disqualify Olympians because they tested positive for smoking weed. Uh, marijuana is not a performance-enhancing drug, so does it really matter? Does that rule make a lot of sense? I don't think it does, but it was the rule, and she knew that. So this is a person, she, she knew that it was the rule for the Olympics, that she was going to get tested or she could get tested, and she chose to uh, roll the joint or pack the bowl anyway. So whose fault is that? It might be a dumb rule, a pointless rule, but you know the rule is there. And if you really care about the Olympics and pursuing that dream, then maybe you just lay off the weed for a few weeks, possibly. Hard to see her as the victim, but that's how she was painted. And then, uh, and then the Olympics happen and she starts kind of, she's, she's being very annoying about the whole thing, as one would expect. She starts gloating online when the American women who were actually in the Olympics were struggling at one point, the you know the relay team was struggling, and, and she tweeted, "Miss me yet?" And then there's this big buildup to her return to the track after her suspension, but it didn't go well. ESPN reports sprinter Shacheri Jefferson, or rather Richardson's uh, return to the track after not being allowed to compete at the Tokyo Olympics, did not go as she had hoped. But she stressed that she's not done. Richardson finished last in a field of nine runners in the uh, 100 meters and withdrew from the 200 meters. Um, uh, on Saturday, her time of 11.14 seconds in the uh, 100 was well behind winner Elaine Thompson-Hera, um, who was the Olympic gold medalist from Jamaica, who clocked 10.54 seconds for the second fastest women's time in history. So she came in after all of this buildup and all of her gloating about how we missed her presence in the Olympics. She comes in dead last, which I think is just great and hilarious. But here she is after the race, and she's still not done gloating. Let's watch this. This is one race. <laughs> I'm not done. <laughs> you know what I'm capable of. Count me out if you want to. Talk all the 
what you want, because I'm here to stay. I'm not done. I'm the sixth fastest woman in this game ever. And can't nobody ever take that from me. Well, they can, actually. The sixth fastest woman. That isn't a, look, don't get me wrong. That's an accomplishment to be the sixth fastest. But it does sound kind of funny for someone to be bragging about it. I'm the sixth fastest ever. The sixth fastest. And nobody could take that from me. Well, I mean, they can. I mean, someone else could become the sixth fastest. You're not, you're not, as, as it stands right now, you're not. Look, I'm not saying that um, all female athletes are irritating, self-aggrandizing people like this, but it, it, there's been a lot of them, especially surrounding the Olympics. You know, a few exceptions. Remember that female wrestler who was the, the Olympic gold medalist? She was fantastic. We need some more like that. We need some more, really, males and females. We need some athletes who are not just absolutely repulsive and annoying um, because that's what we're getting. It's, it's just, it's impossible to root for someone like this because you're not, whether it's, it's the Olympics or even, you know, just watching professional sports in, in you know, in an American league, you're, you're not really rooting just for the individual in the Olympics. You're rooting for your country. Uh, if you're watching the NFL or something, you're rooting for your football, the NBA, you're rooting for your team. And so when you have athletes who all they care about is themselves, and they're very open about that, it's just, it, it, it was never about you. There seems to be a misunderstanding. So you think we care so much about you individually, we don't. It's what you represented that we cared. It's not about you being special. But when you throw all that to the side and you say, well, it's all about me, then you lose all your fans. Nobody cares anymore. Finally, here's uh, the second story like this in as many weeks. First, last week, there was, a, there was a big brawl at an NFL game after some guys were arguing. And then a woman comes in and throws a soda at one of the guys. And uh, she, so these guys were arguing and this woman comes in from behind and just chucks a soda into the middle, like, like I'm throwing a grenade into the middle of the thing. And then this big brawl starts, big, big fight. And of course, the woman stands back and watches all of it. And then this week on Sunday at a Steelers game, a uh, similar kind of situation. A woman is in a guy's face screaming at him. It's unclear what happens. We don't know what led to this. We don't know who's in the wrong, who started it or whatever. Uh, and it's not clear what exactly happens next. But he kind of lightly shoves her back and says, don't touch me, indicating that she had touched him. Although you can't really see that if that happened or not. But then she hauls off and slaps this guy across the face. And then the man retaliates. And the guy who was with the woman stands up and starts throwing punches. And he gets knocked out in the scuffle. It's a whole thing. I know you're hoping I'll show you the footage. But uh, that would be, I think, inappropriate. We're not going to gawk at something like that. I'm just kidding. Of course we're going to show it. Let's let's play this footage here of this uh, fight. Okay, so you can kind of see them arguing. And, whoop, and then the guy jumps up. Because he has to. Now the other guy's wailing on all of them. And now he, he gets knocked. Look at that. Uh, he gets just knocked out cold. All right. Now, a, a couple of things, a couple, a couple of points to make here. First of all, and this goes for everybody involved in this. And again, I don't really know what led to it. But in general, you're just trash if you're getting into fights at football games. I know there's alcohol involved most of the time. But really, I mean, I don't care who you are. It's a game. 
you're rooting for a team because they have a certain colored jersey and a certain mascot on their helmet. It's the most unserious thing in the world. And most of these fights, I don't know if that was the case here, but most of these fights start because, number one, there's alcohol. But number two, it's a fan from one team, a fan of one team versus a fan of another. No, our team has the better colors. We have a cooler mascot. That's basically what the fight's about. And you're risking felony charges over that. Second point, I think more, more, uh, more to the point. And this goes to the ladies. And I know you already know this. They're all too aware of it. But I'm going to say it anyway. Please remember in these situations that you are writing checks that your man has to cash. Okay? You're not really the one cashing them. He's going to have to. So reflect on that. So that woman screaming at that guy, again, I don't know what precipitated it. I don't know who started it. I don't even know who hit first exactly. But, but you slap a man across the face. Guess who has to live with that decision? Not really you. It's the guy who's with you. He has to. So you, sh- you should have a certain sense of responsibility, I think, because of that. This man did his duty. He stood up. But the thing is, whether the woman was in the right or the wrong, who knows? He still has to, he has to throw himself into the middle of that and get, risk getting knocked out. So all I would ask is, you know, just keep that in mind. You're at a football game, you know, as, as a woman, you start getting in someone's face and screaming at them. Every word you say, this is a big check you're writing, and you're passing it off to the guy with you. Just with, with great power comes great responsibility, as Uncle Ben would say. All right, next, uh, let's read some of the comments here. Um, let's see, Paul says, I really hope Carrie Underwood makes a submission for the Sweet Baby Gang anthem. Now, that is great. I, somehow I doubt she will, but uh, Carrie Underwood... You know, I was hoping that the, the, all the, the huge controversy over her liking my tweet, I was hoping she would say something about it. It, it would have been great if she had s- spoken up and, and doubled down on it. But uh, I, she's, she's, she has said nothing one way or another. And I'll give her credit for that because mo- most celebrities in her position would have just apologized. And she didn't do that. And so I'll give her some credit for that. And really, uh, her decision to say nothing at all was, was objectively from a PR standpoint is the smartest, smartest thing. Um. In, 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 most of the time in these situations, if you simply say nothing, it will go away. Which it has for Carrie Underwood. So people were upset about it online for a few days. Say nothing about it. They move on and everything's fine. Um, Brennan says, Matt, you're the only person in public life who stands up for us members of the anti-dog community. Please don't give in to the pressure. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I can understand that. We are a, a very, very small minority. And I do, it does, I, I do get the sense that I am committing a form of treason by potentially getting a dog myself. And I, I do live with that guilt, Brennan. I want you to know that. Um, and uh, Graham says, Matt, I agree with you about men crying, but I have one acceptable addition to the list. After an 18-day stay in NICU, in which he almost passed, we brought my now healthy son home. To God be the glory. Well, Graham, that certainly would be an exception for crying. And uh, congratulations to, to you and to uh, your son and to your family. And we'll, we'll leave the comments on that positive note for a change. It can be really hard to keep up with the news these days, keep up with everything that's happening in the world. 
And that's why we're trying to make it easy for you. You get a reader's pass, and that's how you're going you're gonna to stay informed about everything that's happening. Uh, and you can get this reader's pass for just $4 a month. The Daily Wire reader's pass unlocks exclusive editorial content that unpacks trending political and cultural topics penned by everyone from Candace Owens to Dan Crenshaw to even our very own Matt Walsh. Um, and you can take a deep dive into these really important issues, stay informed, um, and get some perspectives that you're not going to find from any other media outlet. But the best thing is that, once again, with the Reader's Pass, you're only paying $4 a month. And you can do that right now if you act fast, because right now we're offering a one-month free trial. So you can see if you like it. It's a good deal, and it's also never been a better time to take it. So what are you waiting for? Get informed. Get a Reader's Pass today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. You know, one of the hallmarks of any dictatorial regime is pettiness. This is certainly one thing that comes through in Solzhenitsyn's account of Stalin's Russia or any account of nearly any autocrat throughout history. They are ruthless and megalomaniacal tyrants with broad and usually horrifying aspirations. But they also focus just as much, if not more, on the slight and trivial. After all, uh, you know that you, you really have control over a populace if they will obey you even when it comes to the most trifling of matters. If they will not only submit to and go along with your grandest ambitions, but also conform themselves to your demands in every minor and seemingly insignificant way, then you have total control. The people are your marionettes and you are their puppet masters. They've ceded everything to you, given up nearly all of their personal agency. This is the goal ultimately, and it's depressing to see how often this goal has been realized in different countries and civilizations at different times in history. And we're seeing this principle at work, of course, across the world right now, as we discussed, in the name of stopping the spread of COVID. And we've talked plenty about that, and we'll continue to discuss it. But right now, I want to focus on something else. Because this is also the point behind what we call cancel culture. We've come to think of cancel culture as its own thing, right? A separate phenomenon. But really, it's all a part of the left's overall plan to control and dominate society. We might think of cancel culture as the specific mechanism by which the left imposes itself in those especially petty and seemingly trivial ways. That is exactly why cancel culture is such an important issue and such a threat. The pettiness is the point. The pettiness is power. And speaking of petty, it doesn't get more petty than this. As I briefly discussed on the show on Friday, the cancel culture mob has taken a special interest in the hunt for a new host of Jeopardy. Why do they care so much about this? Um, why does the search for a game show host matter? Well, because it doesn't matter. It matters because it doesn't. It's important because it isn't. In this case, after weeks of auditioning potential hosts, the decision was made to bring a guy named Mike Richards on board as host. Now, Mike Richards also happens to be the executive producer of Jeopardy. Given that the executive producer of Jeopardy is one of the guys primarily responsible for finding a host of Jeopardy, it would seem that he kind of went through this whole talent search only to say, eh, never mind, I'll actually do it myself. It may even seem like the talent search was a ruse, kind of a symbolic gesture at most. And maybe it was, but who cares? They can hire whoever they want to be host of Jeopardy. The decision has no effect, large or small, on anyone else's life. Well, maybe I should speak only for myself and say that I have never in my life experienced any form of deprivation or suffering that could be traced back to a network TV game show. I can't imagine how anyone could have a different experience in that regard. Say what you want about Pat Sajak, for example, and I like him personally. But even if you don't, I can't imagine anyone in a moment of anguish and despair crying out, Damn you, Pat Sajak! This is all your fault! Nevertheless, 
The cancel mob has decided that the game show host issue is now of urgent national importance. And that's why once Mike Richards was anointed the new host, or anointed himself, I should say, the new host, they immediately set out to destroy him. As if he was a front runner for the presidential nomination, the mob went digging for dirt, looking for any skeletons they might find. The reason for their opposition to Richards is pretty obvious. As described in many articles, including this one from the AP, it says, quote, giving the flagship show to Richards, who's firmly in the cookie cutter host of a uh, ho- the cookie cutter host mold of a white square jawed young man, struck some as proof of an insincere effort by the studio to consider a woman, a person of color, or someone from the LGBTQ community. More than half of the guest hosts fall into one or more of those groups. So Mike Richards had committed the sin of being white and male. That's really the problem. Of course, Alex Trebek was also white and male, and everybody loved him. Even the left loved him. But I think Trebek was kind of grandfathered in. He was a beloved figure who became beloved before it was decided that all white men are evil bastards. The left kind of allowed him to retain his beloved status, a magnanimous exception fueled by their own nostalgia, but no such exception would be granted to poor Mike Richards. So it didn't take long before they found what they were looking for. Apparently, Richards had made a few offensive jokes on a podcast about eight or nine years ago. Um, Again, does it matter that the host of Jeopardy made crude jokes about almost a decade ago on a podcast that nobody listened to? Is there any reason why this should preclude him from holding note cards and asking trivia questions? No, but once again, the pettiness is the point. Richards, not one to break from the mold, immediately issued the standard groveling apology. In a statement, he said, quote, It is humbling to confront a terribly embarrassing moment of misjudgment, thoughtlessness, and insensitivity from nearly a decade ago. Looking back now, there's no excuse, of course, for the comments I made on the podcast, and I am deeply sorry. The podcast was intended to be a series of irreverent conversations between longtime friends who had a history of joking around. Even with the passage of time, it's more than clear that my attempts to be funny and provocative were not acceptable, and I have removed the episodes. My responsibilities today as a father, husband, and a public personality who speaks to many people through my role on television means that I have substantial and serious obligations as a role model, and I intend to live up to them. That was a statement. Now, of course, what he should have said was something like, it's come to my attention that many of you are pretending to be offended by comments I made on a podcast that nobody listened to or cared about until five seconds ago. But I also realized that most of the offended people are too stupid to even watch Jeopardy in the first place, so what do I care? Go watch a sub-95 IQ game show like Wheel of Fortune instead, you dummies. Now, if Richards had issued a statement like that, I actually would vote for him for president. But we've yet to find almost anyone with the guts to stand up to the cancel mob in such an aggressive way, or really in any way at all. And uh, Richard certainly wasn't going to be the first. He apologized. They didn't accept it. And then he was forced to step down from the role. The same song on repeat over and over and over again. And it doesn't stop there because it never does. You see, the producers of Jeopardy had already tried to preempt the inevitable outrage over choosing a white male by actually appointing two hosts of Jeopardy. They selected a woman, actress um, Mayim Bialik, who was on Big Bang Theory and some other stuff, I don't know, to host the primetime Jeopardy specials that they plan on doing periodically. So really, they, they invented these specials that they're going to start doing just so that they could appoint a female host and then not be accused of prioritizing you know, males over females. They were trying to be equitable and equal and all that kind of stuff. And that didn't work either. The problem is that Bialik is uh, not a person of color and is not trans and is not even gay or lesbian or gender non-conforming as far as anyone knows. 
And you know what that means. Here's Newsweek with the latest article. They say, quote, Mike Richards stepped down Friday from his recently announced appointment as Jeopardy host due to controversial comments he made years ago. Now, some people on social media are calling on Mayim Bialik, who was hired to host the primetime version of the show and specials, to do the same. Yes, she has to go too. Why? Well, they went looking for reasons, and they discovered that about nine years ago, she said that she didn't want to get her kids vaccinated. Okay, that's how much they're, they're scraping the barrel right now to find a reason. And that's it. She expressed some measure of vaccine hesitancy nearly a decade before COVID-19 existed, and that's their pretense for calling for her ouster. But the real reason is that she is, by the cancel mob's estimation, too straight and too white. The mob has decided that the true host of Jeopardy, the man who is destined for the position, as, it, as if it is written in the stars, is LeVar Burton, known to my generation as the man from Reading Rainbow. The problem is that LeVar Burton tried out for the gig and was pretty terrible. But this is no problem at all to the cancel mob. doesn't matter if he's good at it or not, or if he deserves the job on the merits. All that matters is that he's black. And having a black host of Jeopardy is the one piece missing, the one box left to check, the one thing that will finally heal our national wounds and bring about an era of peace and prosperity. Or maybe not, but it doesn't matter. The point is to impose themselves and to bully Jeopardy into selecting a host that they prefer simply for the sake of it. Because they can. Because that's what petty tyrants do. Everything matters to the petty tyrant, especially the things that don't matter at all. And that's why the cancel mob has made Jeopardy into a central battlefield. And it's also why they today, paradoxically, are the ones who are canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, Chuck Schumer dances as Americans are stuck in Kabul and the Biden administration has no good answers to just why Joe Biden is disconnected from reality. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen.